0: All right, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Oh, okay, sure. Um, my name is Nathan. Hi, Hi Nathan. Nathan. And what brings you to our meeting here today? Well, I have a problem. You see, I'm I'm 43 years old. (gasps) I know, I look so young for my age. That's not really the problem, though. Well, we all have problems. Right. Well, here's the thing. At night, if I don't have a... Stuffy. I can't sleep. I'm sorry, I missed part of that. If you don't have a what now? <clears throat> stuffy. Say again? A stuffy, a lovey. There, I said it. I can't go to sleep without this little Houston Texans football. And before that, it was a stuffed dog. <coughs> oh, Jesus. He's a freak. Everybody run! Freak. Episode 7, Man's Stuffed Best Friend The worst part is that I'm not even a fan of the Texans. I just like the way it fits under my arm when I'm sleeping. I have a hard time falling asleep if I don't have it. Does that make me weird? Do I have deeper-seated issues than even I was aware of? Suppressed childhood trauma? Probably. Possibly. And I don't think so. I was, and still am, I guess, an only child. Sure, I had friends and amazing parents, but being an only child, especially in the pre-cell phone online gaming days, required one heck of an imagination. So I created worlds, wrote stories, and drew pictures. In my younger years, a majority of those worlds and stories focused on my friend, Clemmy. Clemmy is a dog. He's got sad, droopy eyes, a big nose, floppy ears, and blue overalls. He's very handsome. And quite the ladies man. I remember for a while he and Kermit the Frog. They had beef over Miss Piggy. In the end, they chose the pals over Gal's route and saved their friendship. On more than one occasion, Clemmy got his own seat on an airplane. As I said, my parents were amazing, but I don't think they were pay a couple of hundred dollars so Clemmy can have his own seat amazing. I think it just worked out that way. Dad, if you're listening, did you buy Clemmy his own ticket all of those times we flew to Arizona? I could throw a hundred stories out there about how great Clemmy was, and all the adventures we had together, and all the times he was there for me, listening without judgment, or at least none that he expressed verbally, but really, I'm just trying to give you a quick glimpse of the impact this stuffed dog had on me growing up. As I got older, certain things separated us. I loved him so hard that some of his seams were nearing the unstitchable stage for my mom. That, combined with my growing interest in girls, forced me to build him his own apartment underneath my bed. I'd check on him occasionally and talk to him at night once in a while, but we were both entering adulthood and we each had our own things going on. That's life. It didn't mean our bond was any less, just different. I hope you know that some of what I am saying is in jest. Most of it is not, however. I believe in the idea of kids having that one all-important blanket or stuffed animal, their cozy ride-or-die friend that pulls them through the tough times, the kind of security blanket that will make your dad drive somewhere in the middle of the night because you forgot it. Eventually, Clemmy got boxed up and moved with me into my first house. I went a few years without thinking about him until around the time my kids were born. It was very important to me that, through no guidance or pressure from me, of course, my kids picked out their own Clemmy. For my son, it was a stuffed giraffe named Jaffe. For my daughter, it's been a hundred different blankets and stuffed animals, but she did remind me while I was working on this week's episode that she does have a blanket named Banky that she's had since she was born. And she went through a couple-year of period where Snoopy was her main man. But she's a lover of things. Each item, from a Happy Meal toy to her silky Banky, is of equal importance to her. I've spent many a night searching for some random stuffed octopus that an aunt gave her four Christmases ago, just because she remembered it, thought about it, thought maybe it was sad and scared and alone. Everything is a Jeffy or a Clemmy to her. I can even remember her being upset at her brother when he stopped sleeping with Jaffe. She asked for legal guardianship, wanted the documents to sign, because he deserved better than the closet. I promise you that I didn't purposely instill my quirky stuffed animal nature into my children. I did side with her, though, and we won the court case. Jaffe at least deserves his own underbed apartment. I also remember that my son got a little older when we went through a couple of Jaffe's missing scares. The thought of his giraffe being lost or left behind at a hotel and my son never seeing him again was too much for me to handle. So I took to the internets and secured him a second backup Jaffe. I'm sure I overpaid for it, but just like homeowners or car insurance, stuffed animal insurance is important for peace of mind. That was also the time that I decided to start looking into my own stuffed animal insurance. Like life insurance, it's really never too late. I realized as I began looking into Clemmy and his background that I knew nothing about his past. I'd never been a good enough friend to ask what was his real backstory who made him did he have friends or family I'd spent a solid 30 plus years thinking he was a one-of-a-kind stuffed animal that my mom must have just birthed right along with me I eventually found out through various health classes that that was not the case of course women and their bodies while amazing cannot produce stuffed animals no Clemmy came from a company he indeed had friends and family and there were more of him out in the world Also, his name wasn't Clemmy. It was just Clem. That was some earth-shattering news, let me tell you. The letters on his chest had long faded away, but you could still make out the C and the L and the E and the M. I think I just assumed that the Y had fully disappeared. I'll get more into my Clemmy research shortly. I've investigated twice as hard since creating this podcast. Eventually, I found another Clemmy on eBay, and without asking my spouse... Paid $60 for someone else's stuffed animal. In the nicest way possible, she let me know that I was an idiot, and didn't need stuffed animal insurance, and made me immediately resell the previously owned Clemmy. I lost money on the deal, and only had Clemmy the second for just a few weeks. This memory is what made me devote an episode to the importance of stuffed friends. In the end, after researching, I've learned three things. 1. Clemmy's backstory. 2. I'm not alone in my affinity for stuffed animals. Three, that the clemmy I bought for $60 and then sold for $40 a couple weeks later is now nearly impossible to find, and often goes for nearly three times that price. That last little bit of knowledge will now be used as ammunition for future disagreements regarding what I spend money on. I'm sorry if you weren't loved enough as a child and don't have any neat stories of a stuffed best friend, but maybe by the end of this episode your tune will change regarding their importance. It's never too late to find love. Just ask the stuffed Houston Texans football I sleep with now. Let's take a quick look into the History of Stuffed Animals. 1880. The first stuffed animal was not even a stuffed animal to begin with. It was a pincushion shaped like an elephant. When the German seamstress Marguerite Steif noticed that the children liked playing with the pin cushions she changed up her marketing for the item and created the Steiff company throughout the next 17 years she sold elephants and pigs and cats and dogs each of her own design 1892 two sisters-in-law from ithaca new york created what is widely known as the first mass-produced stuffed toy in the united states known as the ithaca kitty this three-panel tabby cat pattern was purchased by the Arnold Print Works in Massachusetts and sold to toy stores across America. Celia Madison Smith created the pattern with her pet cat named Caesar Grimalkin in mind. Her sister-in-law, Charity Smith, then painted Caesar's likeness on the fabric. It was very detailed, right down to his seven-toed front paws. That's a real thing, friends, and it's known as polydactyl paws. I'll post a photo on the website in case you think I'm making any of that up about his name or toe count. Anyway, the toy became wildly popular, and was even featured at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. 1897 Back in Germany, Steiff's nephew Richard joins the company, and begins to design stuffed animals based on his drawings of animals in the zoo. People go nuts for them. As far away as the United States, and Steiff becomes one of the most well-respected makers of stuffed toys around the world. I visited their website, which is completely in German, but... It looks like things are still going very well for them. Führer Klein Seafarer seems to be a clothing line for children adorned with an adorable seafaring bear. They also sell Spieljahren, which I think are dangling baby toys that play music when you tug on them. They have Laufrader, which are tricycles and bicycles for kids, I think. My German is rusty, and by rusty I mean non-existent. They also sell Handpupen and Schleschel hangers, which are both exactly what you'd expect them to be. Nightstands from IKEA? No, IKEA is Swedish. They too have stuffed animal companies, though, like Teddy Companion and Bukowski Bears. 1903. The dawn of the teddy bear. Richard Steiff is still doing his thing over in Germany, now focusing on making a bear with fur like fabric. Game changer. In the same year, a Russian born American candy shop owner slash inventor named Morris Mishtum. Got inspired by a political cartoon that depicted theodore teddy roosevelt being kind to a bear cub during one of his famed hunting trips thus the teddy bear was born history is so cool the bears sold so well that mishtim needed to create an entire toy company in 1907 the ideal novelty and toy company was made just to keep up with demand later in 1903 beatrix potter's peter rabbit became the first fictional character to be patented as a stuffed toy. In the 1930s, the Great Depression hit and parents, unable to afford such luxury items as stuffed animals, had to get creative. That creativity and an excess of stinky old dad socks spawned what are still known as sock monkeys. Now it's the 1940s and the Great Depression is behind us. This is where we finally get to meet the man who created my beloved Clemmy. What? Fine, Clem. Mr. George Grooms, he's a young artist and working for collegiate manufacturing in Ames, Iowa. One of his first big jobs is designing the mascot for the Minnesota Golden Gophers. According to a 2017 article from swnewsmedia.com columnist Nancy Simpson, quote, George was not sure what a gopher looked like. Instead of drawing a gopher, he drew a chipmunk. The University of Minnesota bookstore manager at the time, Harold Smith, must not have known what a gopher looked like either as he accepted George's rendering at first sight. The golden gopher mascot has taken on many facelifts over the years, but George's toothy grinned chipmunk was the first to make an appearance. End quote. As a fan of Michigan and Michigan State athletics, it's nice to have another reason to make fun of the golden gophers. Eh. Chipmunks. Now it's the 1960s and George Grooms decides to take his passion for designing and creating stuffed animals and turn it into a real business. He picks Chanhassen, Minnesota as the home for his new company, Animal Fair Incorporated. To kick things off, he goes back to his mascot roots and designs Henry the Dog to become the fuzzy face of the company. Henry gets a love interest named Henrietta, as well as a crew of stuffed friends to roll with. Though it's hard to find much information on it, Henry has his own international fan club. There's also a Henry the Dog community Facebook page with over a thousand members on it. I wanted to join it, but I'm not sure on the relationship status between Team Henry and Team Clem. I don't want to start any trouble between rival gangs. Speaking of trouble, Mr. Groom's daughter wrote a commentary piece for the same SW News Media website in which she says, My dad designed a dog named Henry, who'd later be knocked off by the makers of Snoopy. All they did was change the coloring of the stuffed animal. Now, listen, this is a war I definitely do not want to get in the middle of. I do know, however, that Peanuts came out in comic strip form in 1950, and Charles Schultz has always said Snoopy was based on a dog he had as a teenager named Spike, so I don't think she's saying Schultz stole the idea of Snoopy from her dad. And I can't find the exact date of the first Snoopy stuffed animal, so I really can't get to the bottom of this scandal like I'd like to. Unfortunately, my friends, the world may never know. Groom sold Animal Fair Incorporated in the late 70s, and the company took out a new name, Princess Soft Toys. In more scandalous news, Princess Soft Toys shut down around 2011 after the owner and his wife went to prison on tax evasion. That really has nothing to do with any of this. I just think it's funny to think about the world of stuffed animals being unseemly. I could have used the word sorted there. But I also thought unseemly tied in nicely to the episode's theme. Heyo! Where were we? Uh Henry the Dog, nineteen sixties. Right, okay, so before Groom sold off the business in the mid-1970s, he created a fun little group of these southern, sort of backwoodsy, almost deliverance themed dogs. Could they be boyfriend and girlfriend? Kin? Just pals? Who knows? But their theme suggests maybe all three. Donning overalls, bandanas, and straw hats. Grooms introduces the world to Clem, Clara, Clyde, and I believe there was a Cletus, but there's also a Richie I found on eBay, but he looks shady and possibly like a knockoff, and it clearly doesn't fit in the names beginning with C theme. Oh, this is crazy timing, but I think a very special package has just arrived. Oh, shoot. She's going to get to the door before I can. This isn't going to be good. I'll be right back. Okay, good news, bad news, mostly bad news, some good news. She opened the box, which clearly has my name on it. So she knows I won another Clemmie off eBay while working on this episode. I was going to wait to tell you, the listener, but it got here quicker than I thought it would. So anyway, she's mildly annoyed, but I paid a lot less money for it and told her it had to do with the podcast. I think I'm in the clear. And if not, I'll sell it again or maybe give it away on the website. Hopefully she'll forget about it and my stuffed animal insurance will remain. There we have it. Clem hit the shelves in 1976. I'm born in 1977. Someone, my parents aren't sure who, buys it for me, and the rest is history. Nathan and Clemmy are forever bound by friendship and a deep brotherly love. Through the years, I had a pound puppy or two. I think those might actually be popular again now, but they were first released by Tonka in 1984. And there were plenty of other stuffed dog friends I acquired throughout my childhood, but none of them could hold a candle to my Clemmy. I was interested to see while researching this that even today, stuffed dogs are one of the most popular stuffed animals, second only to bears and just ahead of cats. There have been many books written about kids and their favorite stuffed animals. Velveteen Rabbit, Corduroy, Winnie the Pooh, and of course the more recent Knuffle Bunny books by Mo Willems, which are adorable by the way, and they also back my need for having stuffed animal insurance. The thing that has always hit closest to home for me, in the way I included Clemmy in my everyday life, was a comic strip introduced to me by my father, Calvin and Hobbes. The strip started in 1985, which puts me at around 8 years old. For a while, my dad cut out that comic strip for me every day. It wrapped up in 1995, the year I graduated high school, and if I remember correctly, he was probably still cutting them out for me, although maybe not as often. If you haven't read any Calvin and Hobbes or introduced them to your children, do so. They still hold up and are still sold in book collection form. I have a few of the book collections in my school's library, and when kids stumble onto them, they love them. Calvin is this crazy, precocious, girl-hating, blonde-haired boy, and Hobbes is his sarcastic, cynical, hilarious tiger best friend who appears stuffed to everyone but Calvin. No one crammed more fun into three slides of a daily newspaper comic strip better than Bill Watterson. Unfortunately for fans, Watterson just went into hiding after the strip ended. He rarely does interviews and still 26 years later has never sold the rights to anyone. Aside from books, we've never had toys or movies or a Netflix series, which would kill by the way, or any other type of licensed merchandise. But read some Calvin and Hobbes and you'll be able to picture what Nathan and Clemmy were like. All we needed was a cardboard box for hours of fun. Like the other episodes, the idea for this one started with just thinking it would be cool to tell you about Clemmy, and to admit I still needed something stuffed under my arm to get a good night's sleep. Then I learned about Germans, and Ithaca kitties, and the semi-scandalous Snoopy Henry mystery. Margaret Steif could never walk, wheelchair-bound her entire life. She also became a seamstress, despite an entire right arm that never stopped hurting her. For what? So you could have a snuggly buddy to hang out and make up cool adventures with. Thanks, Margaret. So find your old stuffed animal or blanket. Tell your own children or class of kids where it came from and what it's done for you and with you. Keep the idea of imagination and pretend alive. While we have to grow up eventually, we don't need to necessarily lose those two things completely. The trademark on Clem long expired. Can I finally release that Nate and Clemmy book I made when I was nine? Maybe I will. All right, I have to go upstairs now and try to explain why she shouldn't be mad that I spent money on someone else's stuffed animal. Wish me luck. On behalf of Clemmy, Clem Jr., and myself, thank you for listening. Please follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Stop by Curator135.com and subscribe to the podcast on any of the major podcast apps. I've also got merch now. I don't want to call it merch, but the book I read on how to fit in with younger folks said I should abbreviate words any chance I get. I've got t-shirts and pillows and a whole bunch of great stuff on the way. It's through Amazon, but I have links up to most of the items in the shop section of the website. Until next time, be good to one another and be creative. The world needs you. Clemmie, do you have anything you want to say? <clears throat> Classic. Classic Clemmy.